not move. He stood boldly, his sword extended vertically. Just as I thought, there's no way he can block that ice breath. With such a thin sword, the blade began spinning like a windmill. In his hand. Based on the light green haze enveloping the sword, it must have been a skill. It was already too fast to see, like a, round shield, made of light. The ice breath bore down directly on the sword. There was a, white flash, and I turned my eyes from it. But the cascade of freeze ing air simply bounced off of Carito's erstwhile shield, dissipating. Away. I cast a hurried glance at Carito to check his HP bar. The right. Corner was steadily closing left, perhaps a sign that he wasn't. Blocking the effects of the ice breath entirely. But to my amazement, it was healing back to full every few seconds. Battle healing. Was known as an ultra-high level skill, and in order to increase. Your proficiency with it, you had to take massive damage in bat plea, meaning that it was virtually impossible to safely power up. The skill. Who is this guy? I wondered it once again. No one this powerful could not be a clearer, but his name didn't appear in the registry of any of the top guilds in the game, like the Knights of the Blood. Suddenly, Carito moved again as the breath attack tapered off. He leaped at the airborne dragon with an explosion of snow. The orthodox strategy against flying enemies is to attack them with pole arms or throwing weapons, forcing them to the ground, where melee attacks will be effective. Impossibly enough, Carido jumped almost high enough to eclipse the dragon's head, launch ING into a one-handed combo in midair. With high-pitched twanging noises, he spun into the dragon's body faster than the eye could follow. The beast tried to fight back with its claws, but the blows were simply too slow. By the time Carito finally landed back on the ground, the dragon had lost a full 30% of its health. It was overwhelming. A shiver ran down my spine at the impossibility of what I'd witnessed. The dragon shot more ice breath at Carito on the ground, but this time he dashed to the side and leaped again. Instead of the high-pitched combo, he pounded the beast with single, hammer ing blows. Each one tore large chunks off the monster's HP bar. It was moving past the yellow zone into red now. One or two. More hits would finish the battle. I got to my feet, preparing to give Carito the honest recognition he deserved. Just as I took a step out from behind the crystal pillar, Carito shouted, as though he had eyes in the back of his head. No, you idiot. Don't come out yet. Why not? It's all over. Just finish it. At that precise moment, the dragon beat its wings powerfully. From above. They clapped together loudly in front of its body, sending the snow beneath the beast upward in a huge flurry. A few yards in front of where I stood dumbfounded, Carito stuck his sword into the ground and tried to say something. The Next moment, he disappeared into the flurry, and I was buffeted. Up into the air, by a wall of wind. Damn, a gale attack. I belatedly remembered the attack pattern I'd just spoken. Allowed a minute ago as I spun through the air. Fortunately, the attack itself wasn't that strong, and I suffered very little damage. I spread my arms to maintain balance as my landing approached, 
except that when the snow cleared, there was no ground. Below. It had knocked me directly over the gaping hole in the top of the mountain. My mind stopped working. My body froze. No way, I mumbled as I fell, helplessly extending my hand into space, only to have a black leather glove firmly snag my fingers. I opened my eyes, dazed and unfocused. Carido had torn himself away from the distant battle with the dragon, dashed back without a moment's hesitation, and grabbed my hand in midair. I could feel him tug me up to his chest. His other arm circled around my back and drew me close. Hang on, he shouted into my ear, and I squeezed both arms around his torso. That was when we began to fall. The two of us plunged straight down the center of the massive hole, holding each other tight. The wind screamed in my ears, the borrowed coat flapping around us. If this hole extended all the way down to the lowest point of this floor of Aincrad, we would undoubtedly die. The thought did occur to me, but I couldn't feel it. I just stared upward, dazed, at the shrinking circle of light above us. Suddenly, Carido moved his right hand, still clutching his sword. He drew it back, then thrust forward. With a metallic GA shunk, light exploded around us. He was changing the angle of our fall, by unleashing a heavy thrust attack, driving us toward the wall of the pit. The sheer face of blue ice grew closer. I gritted my teeth. Here it comes. Before we crashed into the wall, Carido swung again, jabbing the sword as hard as he could into the ice. The collision set off. Sparks like a weapon being touched to a grindstone. With a jolt, our fall slowed but did not stop. Carido's sword continued to grind into the ice wall, with a screeching like the tearing of sheet metal. I craned my head to look down in the direction of our descent, there was the snow-piled bottom of the pit. It was visibly approaching. Seconds left. Before impact. I bit my lip to prevent myself from screaming and clung to his body. He let go of the sword, wrapped both arms around me, and spun so that his back was facing downward. And then, a shock. A blast. The snow sent skyward by our landing drifted downward, melting, as it hit my cheek. The chill pulled my reeling senses back. I opened my eyes, and there were Carritos, black and deep at close. Range. One of his cheeks twitched into a pained grin. He still clung. Tightly to me. We survived. I managed to nod. Yeah, we survived. We just lay there for several long moments, it could have been. Minutes, for all I knew. I didn't want to move. His weight and warmth made my head fuzzy. But eventually he loosened his grip and slowly rose to a sitting position. He returned his sword to its scabbard, then produced two small bottles from the pouch on his waist and handed one to me. You should drink that, just in case. Mm. I grunted and sat up, taking the bottle. I still had a third of my health remaining, but Carido, having taken the brunt of the fall, was down in the red zone. 
I pulled out the stopper and downed the sweetly sour liquid in. One go before turning to Corito. It was hard to find the right. Words to express myself. Um, th thanks. For saving me. He gave me his usual wry, cynical smile. It's a little early to be saying that. I looked upward. Well, we made it away from the dragon, at least, but how are we gonna get out of this hole? Uh, we teleport, of course. I rummaged through my apron. Pockets for the blue crystal, then showed it to him. But. It's pointless. This was obviously built to be a fall trap for. Players. They're not going to make it that easy for us to escape. But. I shot him a determined glance, then chanted the command, crystal in hand. Teleport, Lindarth. My order echoed weakly off the icy walls. The crystal's response was to sparkle silently. His expression unchanged, Carido, gave a helpless shrug. If I'd been sure the crystal would work, I'd have tried it while. We were falling. I had a feeling this was an anti-crystal zone. I hung my head, then felt him plop a hand on it. He scrunched. My hair vigorously. Look, don't get depressed. The fact that the crystal won't. Work is simply proof that there has to be a different way out. But you don't know that. It could be a trap designed so that. The fall kills its victims. I mean, we should have died. Oh, good point. I slumped my shoulders in exasperation. Oh, come on, you aren't even going to try to cheer me up? He grinned in response to my flared anger. That angry face. Suits you better, Liz. Keep it up. Wah. He took his hand off my head and stood up, while I stiffened. With anger and embarrassment. Well, guess it's time to start testing stuff out, any ideas? At this point, I had no choice, but to laugh off his lackadaisical. Attitude. But doing so did make me feel a bit better, so I smacked. My cheeks, and got to my feet. A flat ice floor lightly coated with snow was the bottom of our hole. The diameter of the hole was around 10 meters, about the same width as it was near the top. There was a pitiful amount of light trickling down from a great distance above, reflecting off the ice walls as it traveled down. Within minutes, it would be pitch black. There didn't seem to be anything like a passage out on either the walls or the floor. I put my hands on my hips and rolled my head around, desperately working my brain. I spoke the first idea. That popped into my mind. Um, what if we called for help? Wouldn't this count as a dungeon? Carito asked, dismissively. A player can send a friend message to anyone registered on their friends list, for example, I could send one to Asuna, but that function doesn't work in dungeons. There's also no way to track location. I opened my messaging window just in case, but as Carito suggested, it was inaccessible. What if we yelled for other players who went hunting the dragon? We had to climb a good 250 feet to get up. Here. I don't think our voices will carry. I see. Well, where are your ideas, genius? 
I snapped, first trotted that all of my suggestions were being shot down. The next thing out of his mouth was preposterous. We'll run up the wall. Are you stupid? We won't know until we try. I watched, dumbfounded, as Carito approached the wall, then took off at full speed toward the opposite side. The snow on the ground shot up in a flurry, his wind whipping into my face. Just before he hit the wall, Carito crouched, then exploded upward. He put his legs against the wall far above and started running on its surface, his body leaned forward at an incline. No, way. I stood stock still, eyes and mouth agape, as Carito ran around. The walls of the hole in a spiral pattern, like a ninja, in some bad. American B-movie. He grew smaller and smaller, and then slipped and lost his footing, around a third of the way up the wall. Aya. He came falling down directly over my head, his arms flapping. Uselessly. Wah. I leaped out of the way, and with a smack, there was suddenly a human-shaped hole in the snow where I'd just been standing. Precisely one minute later, Carito was slumped against the wall, his second potion stuck in his mouth. I sighed. You know, I always thought you were stupid, but this. I would have made it if I had a longer approach. No freaking way, I muttered. Carito tossed his empty bottle back into his pouch, ignoring my barb and stretching. Well, at any rate, it's too dark to try anything now, we'll have to camp out. The one bright spot is that it doesn't look like any monsters pop into this area. The dying light of the sun was long gone now, and the bottom of the hole was nearly entirely shrouded in darkness. Good point. And on that note, Carito popped open his menu and started pulling items out of it. A large camping lantern. A cooking pot. Several mysterious bags. Two mugs. Do you always carry this stuff around? I spend the night in dungeons all the time. This was apparently not a joke. He clicked on the lantern to light it, absolutely straight-faced. With a faint poof, a bright orange light brightened the surroundings. Carito placed the small pot on top of the lantern, then shoveled up some snow and tossed it in. He opened the small bags, EMP tied them into the pot, then put a lid on top and double-clicked it. A cooking timer floated up. The scent of herbs immediately tickled my nostrils. I hadn't eaten a thing since those bites of hot dog earlier today. My stom ACH suddenly growled to life, as though just realizing it was Hun Gry. The timer dinged and disappeared, Carito lifted the pot and poured its contents into the two mugs. My cooking skill is zero, so keep your expectations low. Thanks. I took the proffered cup and felt its warmth spread through my hands. The contents were a simple soup of herbs and dried meat, but they must have been high-quality ingredients, because it tasted good enough. The heat of the meal slowly spread through my chilled body. This is all, so weird. It's like it's not even real, I muttered. Into my soup, I'm here in an unfamiliar place, with an unfamiliar person, just sipping on soup together. Well, you're a crafter, Liz. 
but when you do lots of dungeon crawling, you often have to camp out in impromptu parties with people you meet along the way. Oh, really? Tell me about dungeons, then. W.L., um, I don't really have any great stories, oh, but before that. He grabbed the empty cups and pot and shoved them back into his menu, then rummaged around some more. This time he produced two large bundles of cloth. They appeared to be camping bedrolls. They resembled real-life sleeping bags, but were much larger. These are high-class articles. They shut out the cold and have a hiding effect that protects you from active monsters. He grinned, tossing one to me. Laid out on the snow, it was large. Enough to fit three of me inside. Seriously, I can't believe you carry all these things around. And two of them. Gotta make the most of your inventory space. Carrito took off his equipment and dove into the left side of his bedroll. I followed his lead, removing my coat and mace and slipping into the bag like it was a glove. His boast wasn't empty, the inside really was warm. And it was much softer than it looked. We were facing each other a few feet apart, the lantern between us. I felt strangely shy about it. I decided to break the awkward silence. So, tell me a story. Uh, okay. Carrito folded his arms behind his head and began to speak. There was the story of how he fell into an MPK trap, the act of luring powerful monsters into a confrontation with other players to kill them. There was also the tale of the boss monster with low attack, but extremely high defense, requiring the group to take shift sleeping while the others occupied the monster's attention, a battle that took two whole days. And the story of a party of a hundred fighters, who had to divvy up their spoils through a dice. Competition. They were all thrilling tales with a touch of humor to them. And together, those tales told a story of their own, that Carrito was. Indeed one of the clearers, the very best players in the game. But if that was the case, the fates and lives of thousands of players were resting on his shoulders from moment to moment. He shouldn't be risking his life looking after the likes of me. Who? Was I? I rolled over to look at his face. His black eyes glittered with the light of the lantern as he gazed back. Hey, Carrito, can I ask you something? So polite, suddenly, what's up? Why did you save me? There was no guarantee you'd survive the fall. In fact, it was way more likely that we'd both die. So. Why? His mouth tightened for an instant but relaxed, just as quickly. If I had to watch someone die, I'd rather die with them. Esp, Sialy, if it was a girl like you, Liz, he responded calmly. You really are an idiot. No one else would be like that. But despite my bold words, I could feel the tears threatening. To well up. Something twisted and pulled deep within my chest, and I fought to calm myself. It was the first time I'd heard such honest, straightforward, heartwarming words since coming to this world. In fact, I'd never even felt such kindness in the real world. I could sense that pent-up longing for human contact, the loneliness that had built up for months, forming into massive waves that threatened to throw me off balance. I wanted to sense 
Carito's warmth up close, to touch it directly with my heart. And before I knew it, the words spilled out. Here, hold my hand. I tilted to my left and extended my hand out of the bedroll, reaching over to his side. Carito stared for a moment with his obesidian eyes, then quietly agreed and echoed my action. Our fin jerdips touched, we both retracted, then clung tighter. His hand was much warmer than the mug of soup I'd been, holding just a few minutes earlier. The underside of my hand was resting on the icy floor, but I didn't even notice the cold. The difference was human warmth. In that moment, I finally understood the truth of the thirst. That had racked a part of my heart ever since I'd set foot in this world. I was afraid of thinking about the fact that this reality was virtual, that my true body was far, far away, impossible to reach. So instead, I found my own goals to pursue, to improve my craft ing, to grow my business, telling myself that this was my real life, but deep in my heart, I always knew that this was fake, that it was data, that I was starving for true human warmth. Carito's body was just a mass of data as well, of course. The warmth that enveloped me now was only an illusion, the product of electric signals stimulating my brain. But at last I realized that this wasn't the problem. The only truth in the real world or this virtual world was what I felt in my heart. I smiled and closed my eyes, still holding his hand tight. Despite the quickened pace of my heartbeat, sleep found me. Disappointingly fast, pulling me down into a comforting darkness. 3. A pleasant scent tickled my nose. Slowly opening my eyes, I found the world to be full of white. The morning sun, bouncing. Endlessly off of the icy walls, set the snow pile into the vertical. Shaft a shimmer. Looking around, I noticed a steaming pot had been placed on. Top of the lantern. That was the source of the smell. In front of the lantern, facing sideways, was the man in black. The glimpse of him seemed to light a tiny fire within my breast. Carito turned to me and grinned. Morning, good morning. Upon pushing myself up to a sitting position, I realized that the hand I'd fallen asleep extending had been tucked back underneath the bedroll. I touched it to my lips, imagining that the warmth was still saved in my palm, and hopped up to my feet. Carito handed me a steaming cup. I accepted it gratefully, and plopped down next to him. The cup smelled like flowers, and mint, a kind of tea I'd never tasted before. I took in a sip, then another, feeling the warmth spread through my heart. I tilted sideways, leaning over to lean on Carito. When I turned my head, our eyes met, and we both turned away immediately. For a minute, the only sound was the sipping of tea. Hey, I murmured into my mug. Yeah? What if we never get out of here? Then we'll need these sleeping bags. That was a quick answer. I was hoping for a bit more contemplation. I laughed, elbowing him. But it wouldn't be the worst. Thing in the world, I guess. I tilted my head to rest on Carito's shoulder, but he suddenly leaped upward with a cry, and I sprawled over onto the floor instead. Hey, what's the big idea? 
I complained, but Carito didn't turn. Back around. He started racing for the center of the large hole. Grumbling, I stood and followed. What is it? Hang on. He knelt down and started scraping away the snow, digging. Out a hole in the layer that covered the ground. Wah! A silver flash leaped across my face. Something under the snow was gleaming, reflecting the morning sunlight. Carito brushed away the snow, then grabbed the thing with both hands to lift it up. I bent over for a closer look, unable to suppress my curiosity. It was a rectangular object, silver and translucent, just big. Enough to overflow both of Carito's hands if he held them together. An object of a very familiar size and shape to me, an ingot. But I'd never seen one this color. I extended a finger and tapped on the surface of the block. A pop-up appeared, describing it as a crystallite ingot. Could this be? I looked up at Carito, and he nodded hesitantly. Yeah, it's the metal we came here to find, I'm guessing. But why would it be buried down here? Hmm. Carito craned his neck, scrutinizing the ingot clamped in his fingers, then let out a brief exclamation of understanding. The dragon chews the crystals, and smelts them into the alloy in its belly, haha. <laughs> That's neat. He chuckled in appreciation and tossed the ingot to me. I hastily reached out to catch it with both hands, clutching it to my chest. Would you fill me in already? I'm tired of being left in the dark. This shaft isn't a trap. It's the dragon's nest. W-H what? That ingot is the dragon's waste product. It's poop. P. I looked down at the ingot held tightly to my chest, my cheek. Twitching. You. I tossed it back at Carito. Whoa. He deftly bounced it back with his fingertips. We played a brief game of hot potato, tossing it back and forth like a pair of kids, until Carito quickly opened his inventory and shoveled the ingot. Inside. Well, now we've got what we came for. The only thing left is escaping. We traded glances and sighed in unison. I guess we should just brainstorm and start testing our ideas. Yeah. If only we had wings like a dragon, I began to say, then. Realized something and stopped still, mouth agape. What is it, Liz? Carito peered into my face, puzzled. You just said this was a dragon's nest, right? Yeah. I mean, there's poop here, so. Enough about the poop already. If the dragon is nocturnal, doesn't that mean it'll come back to the nest in the morning? We stared at each other for a moment, then turned to look up Ward at the aperture of the pit. The very next instant. A black shadow bled into the white circle of light far, far above. It grew larger and larger. Within moments, I could make out two. Wings, a long tail, and four powerful limbs armed with claws. H, H. We both started backing away, not that there was anywhere to. Hide. Here it comes, we cried in unison, drawing our weapons. As the white dragon descended the shaft, it noticed us just before it reached the ground and gave a shrill, piercing cry, stopping. In midair. 
Its red eyes and long, vertical pupils were glaring at us. Angrily, intruders in its sanctuary. But there was nowhere to hide. In the narrow pit. I readied my mace, trying to stifle my nerves. Carrito stepped in front of me, sword in hand, and rattled off. Some quick commands. Listen, don't step out from behind me. If your HP start to drop, drink a potion right away. Oh, okay. I nodded, determined to listen this time. The dragon opened its maw wide for another screech. The beating of its wings sent the snow flying. It smacked its long, powerful tail against the ground repeatedly, carving deep furrows into the mounds of snow. Carrito brandished his sword, preparing to charge and seize the initiative, when he stopped for some reason. Wait, no way, he murmured. W-H what is it? Um. He sheathed his sword without answering my question, then. Turned around and pulled me to his side. Huh? Ignoring my panic, Carrito hoisted me up over his shoulder. H hey, wait, what are you, whoa. The surroundings suddenly turned to a blur as a shock wave. Exploded around me, Carrito had started racing toward the wall. He leaped just before we hit it, then raced sideways along the curved walls, just as he'd attempted last night. Only this time, he stayed level rather than going up. The dragon's head craned as it tracked us, but Carrito hit his boosters, racing faster than the beast could follow. A few seconds later, Carrito landed back on the ground as my eyes raced with dizziness. Once I blinked them into focus again, the dragon's backside came into view. It had lost sight of us and was searching left and right on the wrong side of the hole. It seemed to me that Carrito was going to attack it from behind, but instead he approached it quietly, reached out, and grabbed it firmly by the tip of its tail. In that instant, the dragon let out another screech. Was it just me, or did it sound like a scream of surprise? Now I was thoroughly confused as to Carrito's plan, and I let out a yell of my own, but the dragon beat its wings and began rising with terrifying speed. BFT, air beat my face. I felt myself flying through the air as though I'd been shot from a bow. We were rising quickly through the Shaft, swaying left and right as the dragon's tail whipped back. And forth. The floor of the circular pit grew smaller and smaller. Hang on tight, Liz. Carrito bellowed, and I clung to his neck. For dear life. The sunlight reflecting off the ice walls was getting lighter and lighter, and the pitch of the air whistling past my ears. Shifted subtly. There was an abrupt explosion of white, and then we were outside the hole. When I opened my eyes again, I could see the entirety of the 55th floor laid out in front of me. Directly below was the snowy mountain, a pristine cone. Farther away was the tiny village. Beyond the vast snowfield and intricate forest was a procession of sloped roofs that marked the floor's main city. Everything. I saw glittered brightly in the light of the morning. For a moment, I forgot my fear and exclaimed in wonder. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Carrito hooped and let go of the dragon's tail. He tightened his grip around my side and our momentum sent us spinning.
through the air. The flight only lasted a few seconds, but it felt ten times that long. I think I was laughing. The overflowing light and wind cleansed my heart. My emotions were fit to burst. Hey, Carito! I shouted at the top of my lungs. What? I really like you. What? I can't hear you. Nothing. I hugged his neck and laughed wildly. Our miraculous M.O. meant came to an end as the ground approached. Carito took one. Last spin and braced himself for impact, his legs wide. Bawoof, snow shot upward. There was a long glide. We slowed down gradually while weaving through the white crystals. Like a snowplow, and finally we came to a halt at the edge of the peak. Phew. Carito sighed, plopping down on the snow. I reluctantly released my grip on his neck. We turned around to look at the massive hole, while the dragon circled overhead, having apparently lost sight of us. Carito reached back to his sword and started to pull it out of its sheath, then shoved it back. A wry grin crossed his face as he murmured to the dragon, Sorry about all the hunting, day after day. Once word gets out on how to find the item, they won't be trying to kill you anymore. Live in peace. Yesterday, I would have thought, are you crazy, talking to a monster that's just a series of algorithms? But for some reason, my heart accepted Carito's words as true and honest. I reached out and gently gripped his hand. As we watched silently, the white dragon craned its head around, gave a crisp, clear screech, then descended back into the shaft. Silence returned. Finally, Carito turned to me and said, Shall we go? Yeah. Wanna take a crystal back? No, let's walk. I started walking forward with a smile on my face, still holding Carito's hand. But then I remembered something and looked back to him. Oh, we left the lantern and sleeping bags down there. Now that you mention it, oh, well, someone else might find them useful. We grinned at each other and started hiking down the mountain, headed home for sure this time. The sky beyond the outer perimeter of Aincrad was a brilliant, unblemished blue. I'm home, I shoved open the familiar door of my shop. Welcome back, the NPC girl behind the counter returned politely. I waved to her and took a look around the shop. I'd only been gone for a single day, but somehow it all looked new and different. Carito followed me inside the door, another hot dog from that. Same street cart shoved into his mouth again. It's almost lunchtime, we should eat at a proper restaurant, I complained, but Carito grinned and opened his item window instead. Before that, let's get this sword made. He flipped through his inventory and materialized the plat in a mingot, tossing it to me. I caught the metal, willfully ignore ing the source of the substance, and nodded. Yeah, let's get it over with. Come back into the workshop. We proceeded through the door in the back of the storefront, where the thunking of the water wheel became much louder. I hit the switch on the wall, starting up the bellows to push air into the furnace. It began glowing red almost at once. 
I placed the ingot into the opening, then turned to Corito. You wanted a one-handed sword, right? Yep. Thanks. He sat himself into the round guest chair. Coming right up. Just so you know, the quality will be affected by random variables, so keep your expectations reasonable. If it's a failure, we can always go get another ingot. We just need to remember a rope. A really, really long one. I chuckled, thinking about the preposterous drop down that shaft. Inside the furnace, the ingot was getting good and cooked. I reached in with the tongs and pulled it out onto the anvil. After grabbing my smithing hammer off the wall and configure ing the menu, I gave Carita one last glance. He nodded silently. I smiled in response and raised the hammer high over my head. The powerful swing caught the glowing metal square, and a clear, pure clang echoed off the walls, red sparks flying everywhere. In the chapter of the game's reference materials dedicated to blacksmithing, the only detail offered about this step is strike the ingot a number of times, depending on the type of weapon being created and the rank of metal being used. That could be interpreted to mean that the player's skill has no bearing on the act of hitting the metal with a hammer, but given the non-stop trading of whispered rumors and secret techniques. In SAO, most people strongly believed that the precision of the crafter's rhythm and a strong will would indeed affect the final result. I considered myself a rational, level-headed person, but months and months of practice led me to give credence to this theory. When I made a weapon, I shut out all other information, focusing entirely on the hammer in my right hand, striking firmly with a mind free of all distractions. But this time, amid the clanging of the metal, my mind was whirling with a number of conflicting thoughts. If I performed this job properly and made a satisfactory weapon, Karita would take it back to the front line, and it was unlikely I'd see him much after this. Even if he did come back for maintenance and sharpening, it would be once every ten days, at the most frequent. But I don't want that, screamed a silent voice within me. I'd been starving for human warmth, in fact, it was because I was lonely that I hesitated to get close to any specific male players. I was afraid of that loneliness turning into love. And it wouldn't be a real romance, just an illusion of chemicals and data created by this virtual world. But when I felt the heat of Carito's hand last night, I realized it was that hesitation itself that was this world's thorny trap. I am me. I'm Lisbeth the blacksmith, and also Rika Shinozaki. It's the same for Carito. He's not a character in a game, he's a flesh-and-blood human being. Which means my burgeoning feeling of attraction to him must be real, too. If I forge a sword that meets his satisfaction, I'll tell him how I feel. I'll tell him I want him to stick around, to come back to this house every day after his adventures in the labyrinths. As the ingot was pounded into shape and took on a greater shine, the emotions within me solidified into certainty. My feelings spilled out through my right hand, flowing into my hammer, and from there, the sword that was taking shape before my eyes. Finally, the moment came. Somewhere between 200 and 250 strikes, the ingot suddenly, there, 
Still unsure of what to do, I sat down on the cobblestones, slightly apart from Sachi. The lights of the town filtered faintly. Through the crescent-shaped waterway exit, like starlight. I'm scared to die. I'm so scared, I can barely sleep anymore. She murmured. Why did this happen to us? Why can't we leave? The game? If it's just a game, why do we have to die when we lose? What does that Kayaba person stand to gain from this? What's the meaning of it all? I could have given a separate answer to each of these five K's tie-ins, but even I knew that those weren't the answers Sachi was asking for. I considered her words and found my voice. I don't think there is a meaning, and no one's getting anything. All the important things were finished from the moment. This world was built. I told a horrible lie to the girl who sat next to me crying so hard the tears had stopped. I was getting something out of this, I was deriving pleasure from slipping into the black cats and had ing the truth of my own strength, of feeling superior to them. I should have told her everything at that point, if I had even an ounce of sincerity in my body, I would have laid bare my own hideous ego right there and then. At the very least, that might have taken some of the pressure off Sachi, maybe even given her a little peace of mind. Instead, I sold her pure fiction. You're not going to die. How can you be sure? The black cats are plenty strong as they are now. We're well. Within the margin of safety. As long as you're in this guild, you'll be safe. And there's no reason to force yourself to become a swordswoman. Sachi looked up at me, her eyes pleading. I turned away, unable to face her stare. Really? You're sure I won't die? I'll get back to my real life? Yeah, you won't die. Not before we beat this game and get out of here. They were the cheapest words I could have possibly said, without a shred of conviction or believability. But Sachi inched over too. My side anyway, put her head on my shoulder, and cried. A few minutes later, I sent a message to Kata's group and E.S. Cortade Sachi back to the inn. I sent her up to her room, then, waited in the pub on the first floor for the group's return. When they got back, I explained the situation to them, that it would take time to teach Sachi the shield, that she should remain a spear fighter for now, that I wasn't bothered at all by staying on the forward line. They seemed to be a bit suspicious of whatever had happened between the two of us, but they graciously accepted my proposal. I was relieved at that, but it hadn't actually addressed the fundamental problem, of course. Starting the next night, Sachi came to lie in my bed and was finally able to sleep again. She claimed that lying next to me while I told her she wouldn't die was the only way she could relax enough to sleep. This meant that I could no longer slip out late at night to farm more experience, but it didn't ease the feeling of guilt over deceiving Sachi and her friends. My memories of that time are as tightly packed as a snowball, and it's difficult to recall the details. If there's anything I can say, it's that there was no romance between the two of us. We slept in the same bed, but there was no touching, no whispering words of Love, no long stares into each other's eyes. We were like two alley cats finding solace and licking each other's wounds. 
Hearing my words, Sachi was able to forget her fear, and by providing for her, I was able to assuage my guilt at being a dirty beater. That's right, by observing Sachi's anguish, I think I was finally able to see the true nature of SAO. Until that point, I'd never truly felt the dread of knowing that this game could kill me. I'd blazed through the lower floors, mechanically slaying the monsters I'd known inside out since the beta test, then used that level buffer to maintain my place among the top clearers in the game. I was no Heathcliff, but thinking back on it, my HP bar had basically never fallen into the danger zone. I'd been lounging atop a mountain of resources I'd won without any trouble, while countless players around me trembled in terror at the very real possibility of death. By facing and recognize ING this injustice, I felt like I had finally found a way to assuage my own guilt, protecting Sachi and the rest of the moonlit black cats. I forced myself to forget that I'd joined their guild and concealed my level for the purpose of feeling better about myself, and I told myself that my lies were protecting them and raising them into a first-class guild. I was trying to change my own memory to support my ego. Every night, Sachi curled into a ball next to me, and I repeated, you won't die, you won't die, you will survive. Like a magic charm. When I did so, Sachi would look up at me underneath the blanket, smile just a little bit, and fall into a light. Sleep. But Sachi died in the end. Not even a month from that night in the underground sewer, she was cut down by monsters right before my eyes, her body, and soul scattering into nothingness. That day, Kata was off visiting a real estate dealer to inquire about a one-story house to use as our guild base, we'd finally scraped together the amount we'd set as our goal. Sachi and I and the three other members sat around the inn waiting for Kata's return, laughing at the miserable amount of call remaining in our shared guild inventory. Eventually, Tetsuo, the macer spoke up with an idea. Hey, let's go make some money in the labyrinth and buy a set of furniture for the new house. Kate'll freak out when he sees it. We decided to go to the labyrinth just three floors below the current frontier, a dungeon we'd never visited as a group before. I'd been there before, of course, and I knew that it was a lucrative destination full of dangerous traps. But I didn't tell them that. Level-wise, we were relatively safe within the dungeon, and our hunting was fruitful. We raised our expected quota within an hour and were turning around to leave and shop for our furniture. When the guild's thief found a treasure chest, I told him that we should ignore the chest. But when he asked why, I couldn't tell him that I knew the traps were noticeably more dangerous on this floor. I only gave him a vague excuse, saying I got a bad feeling from it. When he opened the chest anyway, an alarm trap clanged noisily, and monsters stormed through the three doorways into the room. I immediately sensed that we were in trouble, and commandade everyone to use crystals to teleport out, but when it became apparent that we were also standing in an anti-crystal zone, and there was no escape, the entire group fell into a panic, myself included. The first to die was the thief who'd set off the trap. Next was 
Tetsuo the macer, then the spearman. I was terrified, and I unleashed a storm of the high-level skills. I'd been hiding this entire time, desperately trying to stem the tide of monsters. But there were too many. I didn't even have enough time to turn around and destroy the ringing alarm that was summoning them. Just as Sachi was about to be swallowed by the wave of monsters, she stretched out a hand and opened her mouth, as if to say something to me. All I saw in her eyes was a heartrending, plead ing trust, the same light she shone on me every night. I don't remember how I survived. The next thing I knew, the storm of monsters and my four guildmates were gone. And even after all of that, my HP bar was barely less than halfway full. I returned to the inn alone, my mind a blank slate. Kata was sitting there waiting, the key to our new guild house. On the table, he listened to my story, why the others died, why I survived, and when I was done, he looked at me with eyes devoid of all emotion and said just one thing. You're a beater. You didn't have the right to get involved with us. He stood up and marched his way to the outer perimeter of Ankrad, and before my very eyes, he vaulted over the fence with no hesitation and flung himself into the infinite void. Kata had spoken the absolute truth. There was no doubt that my pride, my arrogance, had killed the four, no, five, members of the moonlit black cats. If I hadn't gotten involved with them, they'd have stayed down in the safe middle zone. They'd never have rashly attempted to disarm a trap far beyond their means. The key to survival in sword art online isn't reflexes, or stats, or weapons, it's adequate knowledge. I'd given them a quick step up an advanced course in power leveling, but I didn't give them information. That was a tragedy waiting to happen. I swore to Sachi that I'd protect her life, and I ended up killing her. I needed to accept whatever word she was going to say in that final moment, even if it was the worst curse she could possibly hurl at me. That was the reason I clung to the slim possibility of that item of resurrection. I had to hear that word, 